not a fan of hybrid fruit. I mean, apples are fantastic. So are pears. So why do we have to have apple pears? Come on, apples, do you. Stop confusing everybody. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Living in Minnesota, it's fun to see the changing seasons reflected on the produce shelves in our grocery stores. I love when I see new fruits and vegetables come in. It's sweet corn season. This is awesome. Or, ooh, check out these deep red sweet strawberries and raspberries. And in the fall, the apples. My goodness, we've created a whole social media explosion surrounding the trip to the apple orchard. I'm not even kidding. I've discovered more recently, though, that I'm not a super fan of the hybrid variety fruits. I mean, some I like like the boysenberry and the grapefruit. I love boysenberries. I love boysenberry syrup. I love boysenberry jam. I love boysenberry pie. I love boysenberry pie a la mode, which is like saying the exact same thing, only actually I love ice cream. Sorry, but whatever boysenberry, anything, I would love it because I love them so much. I didn't realize that that was actually a hybrid between a raspberry and a blackberry. Who knew? But I love them. Also, I love grapefruit. I especially love Texas grapefruit. When I was in high school, we traveled down to South Padre Island a couple different times and ate grapefruit there like it was our job. It was just so sweet and so amazing. We loved them so much that when we were packing up to go back home, the backseat dwellers raised their hand and we volunteered, hey, we'll carry the grapefruit home with us. We loved it. So there were six of us in the sedan and three 20-pound bags of grapefruit that traveled with us. But again, it was only later that I found out that grapefruit was actually a hybrid as well. Did you know this? The grapefruit originated in Barbados, and it was actually an accidental hybrid between a sweet orange and a pomelo. And they ended up calling it grapefruit because it grew clustered like grapes. Anyways, I love grapefruit. But some of the hybrids I've been introduced to, I'm just not sure I'm a fan. Like, for example, the apple pear. I bought them because they were packaged so beautifully. They looked so fancy that I thought, how can this not taste amazing? So I definitely judged that book by the cover. Grabbed them, brought them home, sliced open. Nope, didn't love it. Waited for a while thinking maybe it just needs to ripen more or something. Cut it open again. Nope, didn't love it. I'm like, I love apples and I love pears and I kind of want to like this, but my taste buds were all like, what's happening now is not super obvious. I'd be all in with an apple. I'd be all in with a pear, but I was leaving them wondering and, they, and then they weren't buying it. I felt the same way about all the plum apricot hybrids. You know those. I love plums. I love apricots. I'm just having a hard time buying into the pluot and the aprium or the apriplum, or the plum cots. Have you seen all these? Yeah. Okay. First of all, it's just stressful enough figuring out how to pronounce them. But secondly, they all still leave my taste buds wondering, come on, man, is this thing an apricot or a plum? Make it obvious. 
The craziest fruit I've ever had was not a fruit hybrid, but just a variety. It totally messed with my mind. Maybe you've had this too. The cotton candy grape. Are you even kidding me? It was so weird. I saw it, picked up a bunch. Your eyes tell you, okay, I'm looking at a grape. And then your mouth tells you, you are at the circus. And you try it again. You're like, okay, my mind is going to tell me, my eyes are going to tell me I'm going to bring a healthy snack to eat in the car. You start popping them in and your mouth tells you to look for the mini donut stand. It's like the weirdest thing ever. We see this sort of, what really is this phenomenon happening in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because actually it was Jesus teaching a sermon on a mountain. It's kind of funny how now we make it seem so fancy. People like wood burn it on plaques or needle pointed on pillows or something. Probably it's like, this is the Sermon on the Mount. But all along it was just the disciples talking about, hey, yeah, remember that time when Jesus talked really long on the mountain? Oh yeah, that Sermon on the Mount. So that's what it was. And that's all it is. It's Jesus talking to the people. And he had been for quite a while. He started out telling the people who was really blessed. He was saying, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the sorrowful. He had his whole list and he was going through it. That's not just what we're studying today. So I'm not just trying to skim over it because it's not important. I'm just saying that's not where we're landing today. So he goes on telling who is actually really blessed. Who's truly blessed? He went on a little bit farther and he said he wanted his followers to shine like light in a dark world. He wanted his followers to be salt in a tasteless world. And then he started amazing them, amazing this crowd. There's a crowd of people there. He started amazing them by saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and people standing around there, kind of, I picture them kind of off to the side, their arms crossed, their fancy robes, their fancy hat, kind of looking at one another. You've heard it said, Jesus would say, and they'd look at each other and we're like, absolutely, they've heard it said because we are the ones saying it. Do not murder, for example, Jesus said. And they're like, yep. But I say to you, and they stop, what? Who is this guy? Later on at the very end of these passages, the people say, he taught like someone they'd never heard because he taught with authority. Means he was saying these original things. So the Pharisees are hearing Jesus say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, anyone who's angry with their brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who calls their brother an idiot is wrong. Jesus is taking the teaching of God. He's expounding on it in an accurate way. Why? Because he is God. And he was getting people to see that it wasn't just the letter of the law he was concerned about. It was the spirit. It was the heart with which these things were done. Or for example, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at another human being with lust, you've already done it. Looking at someone as an object to meet your need or to satisfy your desires, to use them for your own benefit. Don't look at people like that. Don't look at people for what you can get from them and how they will help you. Instead, look at them for who they are and who I have created them to be. He kept on with this heart of the matter teaching as he addressed the importance of giving to people in need and praying and fasting. He told them, don't do this in a big showy way, like with trumpets and fanfare. 
Rather, do it humbly for God alone. Again, these teachers of the law, these religious leaders would stand there and be like, what is he calling us out? Because when they would pray, they'd pray in the corners. And they would, oh, thank you, God, I'm not as needy as that guy over there. They would look at themselves in the self-righteous veil, thinking they had it all together and just pointing how they think everybody else was falling short. They would give, they would give money, but they would give with trumpets blowing. Oh, what? Nope, it's just me. Just me dropping a little cash. Always for the attention. And Jesus is saying, no, don't do those things for show. Instead, it's a matter of your heart. So he says, give. He says, pray. He says, fast. They were praying and fasting. Also, when they would fast, they would just walk on. I'm just so hungry. No, would you like somebody? No, because I'm fasting. I mean, I'm really hungry, but oh, and they would make such a big deal about the things they were doing that should have been an act of service for God done with a heart and not for the outward show of it all. So Jesus continued to point out things like this. He addressed the subject then of fruit. He comes to it in the form of a mixed metaphor. So he's kind of coming in it through the back door. Matthew 7, 15 to 20, he starts out like this. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are like ferocious wolves. Clearly we're not to the fruit yet, but what do we have? We have a false prophet, a false teacher. Who is he calling out? He's calling out the religious leaders, the people that think they had it all together. They thought they had it all put together and they thought that they were the ones that should be enlightening everybody else and how to live. He says, watch out for those people. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. This sounds like a warning, doesn't it? This sounds like something we need to be aware of. They're posers among us. They look like lambs, but they're wolves. And not just ordinary wolves. I Actually, I don't know if there is such a thing as an ordinary wolf. Anyway, these are ferocious. He heightens that definition of wolf by saying they're ferocious wolves. The original word here also means like ravenous. It was used to describe, they would use this word to describe like a greedy extortioner, someone trying to get for themselves. Someone who illegally or immorally or both would use their official position of power to get funds or property or actually really whatever they wanted over those whom they had authority. So Jesus was calling these people out. The religious leaders were doing this also. They were upping the fees that they were charging to people for things that they needed to sacrifice at the temple or whatever. He's saying there are bad things done, Jesus is, in the name of religion, in the name of following me. And Jesus didn't want his name connected with that. He was calling his people to a higher standard of an internal morality and a clear connection to truth. He said, you, you need to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And then the people would hear this and they're like, What? I need to be more righteous than them. I know that they're super righteous. How did they know they were super righteous? Because the Pharisees told them they were super righteous, which right then and there we recognize, wait a second, there's something that's different. And that was Jesus teaching. Yes, there's something that's different. There needs to be a righteousness, but it does not come from you. It's going to come from within. And the people could have been thinking, well, how am I supposed to know this? They look like sheep. How am I going to be able to tell who's who? He goes on. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? He asks in these rhetorical questions. Then he says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot 
bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down, it's thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you're going to recognize them. Okay, what's the deal? What is this fruit? Galatians 5.22 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit, right? It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit's activity in our life. And so he says, do you see this? Do you see this? This is an internal fruit from the Holy Spirit, and it is going to produce in-kind or spirit-led, spirit-filled activities. He's telling the people on the mountainside, Jesus is telling the people there, and he's telling us today, that we need to watch closely those who are teaching truth and see, does their life evidence that there is an internal fruit that is coming from within and is informing all their decisions and all of their activities. Are they exhibiting this kind of fruit? I don't know. We have to ask as we examine. Do you see kindness and goodness and self-control? Or do you see self-righteousness, a critical spirit, a lack of concern for the lost? Do you see greed extortion and pointing to self? Or do you see gentleness, humility, and pointing to Christ? Do you see someone willing to lay down their life for another? Or do you see someone demanding that their lives be lived for them? Do you see somebody looking at somebody who is hurting, who doesn't know truth, hungering to share that truth with that person? Or do you see them standing with an accusatory finger pointing at them saying, come on, you should figure this out. What do we see? Not just what do we see when we look at them, which is something we need to be vigilant about, but we also kind of need to look at ourselves, right? Here's the deal. Nobody should be wondering if these teachers are followers of Christ. It should be obvious. You should be able to recognize them. That's what Jesus is saying. And we should be ever vigilant. We should be looking for good fruit. We also, though, should be producers of good fruit. We never want our identity as a follower of Christ to be in question. We don't want someone to be surprised by that. Wait, what? You're a Christian? There is no stinking way I ever would have guessed that. This is like a shock to me. It reminds me of something that happened last year. I was working at a local coffee shop one day. I'm not an employee of a coffee shop, but I was sitting there. I was writing some talks I was going to be giving at an upcoming deal. So I'm working on this. I'm typing. And I see this man walk in. He wanders around the coffee shop for a little bit. At one point, it kind of felt like he was staring at me, but I wasn't sure. So I looked back up at him and we connected eyes for way too long of a time because I'm like looking at him going, do I know him? Is it someone I went to school with? Is it somebody that I know from church? Is it somebody I know from somewhere else? And while I'm thinking that, I'm thinking too long and he's looking at me and we both decide we probably don't know each other and then we look away. But it was just one of those weird things. So anyway, that had happened. So I popped my earbuds in and I went back to work. I could see him kind of in my peripheral vision. He would wander around. He was pacing a little bit. I'd see him check his phone. Eventually he seemed to settle in and he must have been settled in somewhere a little bit behind me looking out the window. I was right by the window. So he's probably looking out the window. And and then I realized he's probably just looking for somebody or waiting for somebody or whatever. So I kind of was able to put him in the back of my mind. But then after a little bit, I heard him ask someone, are you Brian? I didn't turn around to see who he was talking to. I was like, it's kind of weird that he didn't notice that person earlier, but whatever. 
So I wait for a little bit, didn't hear the guy answer. And then after a considerable amount of time, he asks the person again, are you Brian? And I'm like, oh my goodness, help this guy out somebody, (laughs) answer him. He's kind of trying to figure it out. So now I am kind of curious to see who it is. So I'm like going to turn around kind of casually. So I turn around super casually. And as I turn around and lift up my head, my eyes just peer right into his eyes that are peering right into mine. And we freeze for a second because it's also still weird. And then he says really loud because my earbuds in her in. Are you Brian? <laughs> I wasn't sure if I had heard him correctly. So I took my earbuds out. I'm sort of laughing, but I'm also sort of not. And finally, I'm able to manage, wait, are you talking to me? He looked down at his phone and he says, super matter-of-factly and and kind of accusatory. He goes, yeah, I'm supposed to meet Brian. I've just been texting him. He said he was at the coffee shop sitting alone at a table wearing a blue shirt. And you're wearing a blue shirt. (laughs) I was like, and I'm not texting. And then I thought, oops, I kind of buried the lead there. And I also said, and did this... Brian say he was a guy? Cause like, I'm also not a guy. And he's like, well, and he didn't really answer. And then I told him about a coffee shop that was right across the parking lot from where we currently were. I told him it was embedded in a grocery store. It did have separate tables. And I told him that likely it had a man sitting with a blue shirt alone, texting, waiting for him. He was like, cool, thanks. And he walked away. And I was like, oh, not that cool. As he left, I busted out laughing and I could not stop for like way, way too long. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I am either wearing like so not enough makeup or like way too much makeup, but it was like one of those funniest things that ever happened. As I think about this today, I think, what's my deal? Not so much, why did I look like Brian that day? Although I did think about that for quite some time then. But now I'm asking more so, huh? I wonder if I look like Christ. I wonder if I am living out the good story that I'm loved by God and equipped with his fruit in order to live a life of service for him and for his glory. Well, I might not have been thrilled for being mistaken for Brian. I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? It would be far more tragic for me to have my true identity as a follower of Christ in question. I don't want people wondering, oh man, is she a pluot? Is she an aprium or what's her deal? I want it to be obvious, and I know you do too. Let's today, let's today together live lives that reflect Matthew 7.20, where it says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And let's have a day where we produce the things that God is at work doing in us, where we bear the fruit of love, joy, peace. What is it that you need to show people today? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let's live lives that leave no one questioning that we're followers of Christ. 